Welcome back to The Doctor Is In with Dr. Nadia Saba. I'm Dennis Wadan, Dr. Saba's producer. Recently, Dr. Greenhouse attended the University of Arizona's CEAC short course and got the chance to catch up with a few of the students and speakers about their work in controlled environment agriculture. Today, we're sharing her conversation with Calder Bethke, a biosystems engineering master's student. Unfortunately, we did lose part of Calder's interview to the wind, but it's all the reason more to have him return as a guest someday and tell us more about his research and work in cost-efficient greenhouses for arid climates. Thank you for listening. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Doctor Is In. I'm Dr. Nadia Saba. I am at the University of Arizona's Controlled Environment Ag Center talking to grad students about their research and what they're up to and what they're learning and what they want to do after they graduate. Here with me now is Calder Bethke, who is a first-year master's student in biosystems engineering. Calder, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thanks for having me. So tell me, tell me how you found controlled environment agriculture. Hmm. Okay, that's a great question for me. After college, I worked on farms for about a year, and then I worked at a plant nursery for six months, and then I did the Peace Corps for three years. Oh, wow. I was in West Africa, Burkina Faso. I was working on agricultural projects, health projects, and business projects. And living there, I really got a sense that in arid regions, they're going to be hit really hard by climate change. And when I came back, I wanted to find a career that would had purpose and that would kind of work on that solution. I think CEA is a great solution for some of the arid climates that are going to be really affected by climate change. I think there's over a billion subsistence farmers and herders in the world, and wow. they're really going to uh, be affected. So tell us a little bit about what you're studying in your research. How, how are you marrying the, your interest in CEA and, and in helping yeah. those? What's the right terminology? I'm not always quite sure, to be honest. I, sometimes I say less resourced, okay. uh, marginalized, marginalized or underserved. Mm. And I am in the Indigifuse program, an, an Indigifuse trainee that stands for Indigenous Food, Energy, Water, Security, and Sovereignty. Wow. Uh, you know, food security being having access to enough nutritious food and sovereignty, having more control and power over that food and where it comes from and how it's made. And my research is more geared toward low-cost CEA technology. Okay. We're standing, we're sitting beside a high tunnel. So my uh, current focus is going to be looking at plant empowerment, which I think you talked also with Max and Michael about yeah. that. And so plant empowerment is something that's geared toward your high-tech, fully enclosed greenhouses right now. And we want to see if we can apply that toward a low-cost, high-tunnel greenhouse, because a lot of uh, communities out there in arid environments, they may not be able to afford, it may not make sense to have this high-tech greenhouse that has all these controls. It also requires a lot more resources. Mm. Um, they've done, I just was reading a paper the other day about greenhouses in Zambia, and they had imported these greenhouses from Israel and Southern Europe, but uh, they found that uh, it may not be surprising, but they weren't economically feasible. <laughs> so. That's interesting. So what what is a high tunnel? How does that compare to a greenhouse? Yeah, I like to think of it as it's a high tunnel or a hoop house. Uh, oftentimes they'll have the side vents that roll up and down and it's more it's not it's more open to the environment. It just uses more natural ventilation. It's not gonna it may not have exhaust fans, it may not have evaporative cooling. Um, you probably wouldn't use CO two in it. Okay. It probably you also probably wouldn't uh, you may not heat it either. 
you mentioned that that bringing in some of those more high-tech greenhouses that they weren't very feasible is that because they don't have the resources like energy and water necessarily to grow crops in there is it also maybe about just skill set and people's ability to know how to operate them yeah i think the, the paper said it was about the skill set and also about definitely smaller markets for some of these if, if the prices are going to be high cost compared to your field crops in these regions hmm. and that may change and that may be different when there's a drought going on and you need to you know every last bit of water really counts that may change that so we have these high tunnels that are maybe have a lower barrier to entry and mm -hmm. maybe a lower barrier to feasibility and profitability. I mean, how do you sort of envision those getting deployed? Maybe in the U.S. I mean, you talked about indigenous mm -hmm. people and also in, in maybe Africa and other underserved mm -hmm. uh, populations. So the Interfuse program is partnered up with the Diné College at the Navajo Reservation, mm -hmm. and we are working on building a demonstration greenhouse there. Cool. That is in the works, and I think in the future FUSE Food Energy Water program, they want to work with individual families, try out giving a smaller, low cost to entry, a very accessible greenhouse, and see how that works out. What kind of crops are you growing in this? I mean, are you also thinking about indigenous crops as yes, well? Yes, I think that's where the food sovereignty comes up, is what kind of crops do they want to grow in them. Uh, I haven't looked at it too much, but I think that that's a really interesting thing, because here at the SEAC, I think some people have said, oh, we're doing too much tomatoes, because <laughs> uh, that's what a Who lot of Who doesn't love is. a tomato? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Surprisingly, there haven't a few people in the class who are like, I don't like tomatoes. You've never had a good tomato, though. <laughs> yeah. Some of these tomatoes are really, really great. They are. Um, but yeah, I, I think we're, we're growing some melons in some of these greenhouses, and it could be things like squash, that sort of thing. I'm not sure how much this, this will apply, but there's also cultural barriers as well, just because some people may not want to work in CEA because it may distance their connection to the land, which is really important to sure. lots of people too. So that's another issue, not something that we're looking, not something we think we can fix or should be fixed or anything like that. But yeah. can you expand on that a little? That's really interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I was in a, a class last semester focused on traditional ecological knowledge that is part of the Indigifuse uh, program. And there may be, you know, uh, different people have different opinions no matter what group they're from. In indigenous cultures, and I don't want to necessarily speak for them, my heritage is German, I'm not indigenous, but there's different cultural beliefs and having a connection to the soil is very important and to the environments. And it really, a lot of indigenous groups in the world, they're very dependent on the environments, both uh, physically and culturally. That's something that a lot of people don't necessarily want to change for obvious reasons, I think. So can CEA be a part of some people's lives when they also want to be connected to the soil is one question.
That's uh, so interesting because I just think about the parallels with organic food and yeah. the pushback or organic farmers have against CEA and hydroponics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I have a I have a housemate who's <laughs> really <laughs> uh, who's, who's less who's less enthused about. Uh, controlled environment agriculture and more into permaculture which I love things like permaculture yeah, and sustainable agriculture I think they're a great solution they're going to be one of the main solutions for uh, climate change and droughts and also I just want to say there's a lot of uh, indigenous people that are also using science uh, and are into controlled environment agriculture as well so it's you know just like any group of people you can't box anyone in I mean, what are the benefits to controlled environment agriculture for indigenous cultures or for people in Africa as opposed to traditional agriculture? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I hear different stats, but I kind of say it can use up to 10 times less water mm -hmm. per, per plant. It can, you can grow up to 10 times as much uh, in the same amount of area. Yeah. And the water use efficiency is going to be a really big deal in the future for arid regions. So kind of a lot of the same benefits that we would hear just in general about controlled environment mm -hmm. agriculture apply mm -hmm. to these other underserved mm -hmm. populations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So what is the research you're doing exactly? So we're still kind of narrowing down on which path we're going to take. So it is a little bit broad, but as of right now, we're looking at the plant empowerment approach, looking at the plant balance and the greenhouse balance, and looking at getting data from the plant itself, and seeing how can we incorporate that into a low-cost greenhouse. Uh, using, you know, seeing can we even get the water sufficiency even better. We have plant empowerment without as much humidity control, even though our main focus will be VPD and the uh, temperature to light ratio. Is it harder to be in a high tunnel without all the same kind of controls and systems as a as a traditional greenhouse to empower a plant? Yes, I think because you have less control over all these different things. You have less control over the plant balances, but you have to work more with what you have. And we're looking at working with, you know, can we work with the transpiration? Can we almost close down the greenhouse when the plants are transpiring and to decrease the VPD so they're transpiring less mm -hmm. uh, so the stomata stay open while putting the solar shades on so that the heat doesn't increase too much. You know, I've been reading that some of the plants, maybe not in CEA, but a lot of plants they don't actually photosynthesize during the sunniest parts of the day because they're transpiring too much. So they're so actually conserving water. Yeah. 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 And, but they're not photosynthesizing. Um, so you may as well lower your resources and your other your other parts during this time period um, and bring everything back into balance. That's kind of how I think of plant empowerment. It's looking at, you know, what is the bottleneck? Can we fix it? Well, if you can't fix it, then bring the other resources now. Right, rather than just continuously trying to, like, hit the gas pedal exactly, exactly. on all these variables that your plant's not going to use anyway, and you're just using resources for the heck of using resources. Exactly, and how can we do that in the low-cost setting? Interesting. I like that. So, you know, what we're looking at um, for our listeners, can you can you describe this greenhouse that we're looking at? Yeah. Yeah, I'll follow you. We are looking at a high tone greenhouse that has a shade cloth on top. There are side vents connected to motors. And we do have an evaporative cooler on the back. Um, they've had this, I don't know how long this greenhouse has been here for, but it is lower cost. 
I believe it's also a sand substrate inside. This oh, is from cool. a previous project. Okay. Are you actually going to use that? Uh, we're not sure yet. Okay. <laughs> it would be pretty interesting. I've been told that, you know, uh, sand's been sitting there so long, maybe not a good mm. thing to do with all the microbes. And I think I also... <laughs> Some people might say, hey, it's good that there's microbes in your substrate. Yeah. I, I was just reading about this uh, slow sand filter system. Uh -huh. I hadn't actually heard of it before I read this paper, but I guess it's been around since the 1970s. Oh, wow. But it'll... The, they did an NFT system going through slow sand filter and uh, apparently it really helps uh, keep the microbial balance, the microbes very diverse so that no one pathogen can really take over so you can recycle your nutrient solution a lot longer so you can conserve more water and not throw it away as often. Hmm. Interesting. So one of the things that I'm looking at with this greenhouse is that there's actually a shade screen pulled over the top mm -hmm. of the greenhouse. You know, I think when I think of a traditional greenhouse, I think about, you know, movable curtains on the inside. Um, what are the advantages or disadvantages to having this shade screen on the exterior of the greenhouse? Um, I think that will dissipate the heat sooner instead of dissipating the heat on the inside. Mm. Uh, that's the main thing that I can think of. I think we also have this on here just to protect the equipment inside because currently there are no plants inside. Oh, wait, I'm sorry, are you saying that the plants help protect the equipment on the inside? No, the, the shade cloth. Okay, okay. <laughs> got it, got it. Yeah, so that they don't get no plants on in right now. Right. Yeah. And maybe you're not running the evaporative cooling pad and the yeah. ventilation. Yeah. It could probably be 180 degrees exactly. in this greenhouse if you let it. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. So what are some of the biggest barriers? I mean, you spend some time in Africa. What are some of the biggest barriers that, that they are dealing with in terms of agriculture and feeding themselves? For one thing, they don't have tractors. In my area, you know, it's still very much familial. It's very much subsistence farming, mm -hmm. where your family, you are growing what you're going to eat. If you have extra, then you can sell it and you're going to have extra money. Otherwise, what, how you're going to survive is from your own field. There's no tractors there's not very much commercial farming. It's all subsistence farming. And yes, there's a, there's a big barrier with financing mm. and with infrastructure and with clean water and energy. One thing they do have going for them is there's a lot of solar panels. Solar okay. panels are becoming a big thing. And to power a low cost greenhouse, we're hoping to use low power equipment so that we can run it off of smaller solar panels as well. Oh, cool. Um, that's part of also the Diffuse program. Uh, it's like the nexus, the integration of food, energy, and water. You know, the food is controlled environment ag, the energy is uh, photovoltaics, we have people working in photovoltaics, and the water is, we have um, a bunch of students working in water purification, um, especially in the Navajo Nation, because a lot of their water is not good to drink. It's not? No, just uh, from all the mining, you know, there's uranium mining, so there's water, there's uranium in some of the water. No. Um, and yeah, a lot of, they have really, uh, there's a lot of poor infrastructure up there as well. Wow. Mm -hmm. So do you think that there's an opportunity that we could capture the water that's in the greenhouse and recycle it and use less water also for mm -hmm. agricultural mm -hmm. practices? Yeah, yeah. I'm doing a permaculture course right now on the side in Tucson, learning about the importance of water catchment is a big deal. Um, I definitely think that using the water that you can get off the top of the greenhouse is important, especially for uh, remote areas. And having a cistern nearby, you know, I think that's a great solution. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
I've always thought that it would it seems so logical to use solar panels to run ventilation fans and maybe a you know half horsepower evaporative cooling pump and mm -hmm. and little irrigation circulation pumps. Mm -hmm. Do you think that'll be the future for greenhouses? Yeah, I th I mean I imagine a world where power is going to be very cheap because solar panels will be really inexpensive and I think that there will be a lot more of that. It'll be very accessible and it'll be uh, fantastic. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What have you, when your program is all said and done, mm -hmm. how do you want to apply this? I mean, do you imagine yourself going back to Africa and, and maybe helping deliver and train on these high tunnel, low tech greenhouses? Yeah, um, I think I would like to be involved in the food security world in arid agriculture. I think that'd be, that's my goal is to work in maybe consultancy or NGO of some sort. Oh, nice. Um, or maybe even a private company that is working in that sector. Very cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Calder, thank you so much. It's really fun to talk about low-tech greenhouses. I don't think, uh, I think most people think of greenhouses as being fairly controlled and having a lot of systems. Mm -hmm. And now people are moving mm -hmm. indoors mm -hmm. into vertical farms. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's nice to see that there is potentially an application for these low-tech facilities yeah. that even aren't just generally about extending seasons. Mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. we think a lot of times of these low-tech hoop houses is. Mm -hmm you know, starting your spring early mm -hmm. or, or finishing your fall mm -hmm. later. Yeah. Um, to think of it as actually part of production agriculture is yeah. really exciting. Yeah, seeing what else we can do and also seeing what things we've learned in higher tech CEA that we can bring to mm -hmm. this. Yeah. Do you think you'll learn some lessons here in the low-tech greenhouse that could be applied in the high-tech greenhouse? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's yeah. definitely a possibility. Yeah. It's all about getting to know the plant, right? Mm -hmm. And what it needs. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> maybe we don't always have to turn on the cooling system in there mm -hmm. and just roll up the curtains mm -hmm. like you'll figure out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Calder. It was really Thank fun you. to meet you and talk to you. Thank you. Thanks for having me.